Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning and uh, welcome to Liberty Bible Church. My name is uh, Tim and I serve as one of the pastors here. Really glad to have you with us. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn it to, uh, to John 15. That's uh, where we'll be um, this morning. Although, uh, we'll spend a lot of time in that text actually, but you can turn it there if you'd like. But I want to pray for us and then jump into our sermon. Let's pray. Father, would you, would you teach us your ways? Would you lead us? on the path of righteousness by, by speaking whatever it is we need to hear to faithfully follow you with our lives. So God, surround us with your presence, fill us with your word that we might faithfully live the way of Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On November 1st, 2015, two things happened. One, I was living in Kansas City at the time, and on that night, the Kansas City Royals defeated the New York Mets in Game 5 of the World Series, and even though the Cubs is still my first team, the Royals had become my second team, and that was a fun night. It was a fun week watching the city just get around the baseball team and watch them celebrate the, the victory that night. The second thing that happened was, uh, towards the end of the game, my wife walks out uh, and says to me, pregnant with our third child, I think I'm going into labor. <laughs> and so she calls the doctor up, and the doctor, either because this was his medical advice or because he was watching the game, said to her, wait an hour. If you're still having contractions, then come in. Well, the, in that hour, the Royals won the World Series. Uh, but before that hour was over, she said to me, it's happening, let's go. Uh, so we get in the car, we start driving to the hospital. And, and this is our third rodeo at this point. I, I say our, I mean her rodeo. I was along for the, I was riding on the rodeo uh, for this. But I could tell, this felt different. Like her level of intensity with the pain she was experiencing. We, I had not yet uh, seen her go through. So I could, this felt different. So we get to the hospital, we get into, uh, into the room, and again, it's just the, it's the intensity is crease, increasing, and it feels like this, is, this, feels, this feels like it's happening right now. And she says to the nurse, uh, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. Could I, like, I need, I need an epidural. Can we get working on that? And the nurse responds, yep, we're, we're working on that. But I can tell by the nurse, she has just lied. There will not be an epidural. This is happening right now. And so we go on. Missy starts making loud, like, she starts yelling. I mean, not, and I mean, like, screaming in the, the room, loud enough for all on the, the hospital or the, the pregnancy ward to hear it, eventually culminating her yelling out as loud as she can, I think I'm going to die. This continues. The nurse looks at me because, like, they're actually having a hard time keeping her on the bed. Like, she just wants to, I don't know where she wants to go. She wants to go somewhere else. And the nurse looks at me, and I could tell, like, this why I have some distance between me and Misty. You laugh, but I knew that was the correct response. <laughs> but the nurse didn't think so. The, the nurse is looking at me like, get over, what do you, get over here. So I can tell, like, we're, have, we're having a nonverbal communication happening. So I, I asked Misty, Misty, would you like me to come over there? 
near you, and Missy responds, I don't want you to touch me. It's good marriage, we're in agreement. So I just, I kind of stay over, no joke, the doctor shakes my hand, like jumps uh, on the stool, and then spins over uh, to my wife, and about two minutes later, Abel was born into the world, our third son, about 25 minutes from arrival to the hospital, to him being in Misty's arms. And I, I tell this story, uh, and I've used this quote before, but it's, it's really going to be important this morning. Um, Kurt Thompson, a Christian uh, psychologist, says that we are all born looking for someone looking for us. Again, I've talked about this before, but it's what makes the birth so powerful is the moment the child is with his mother or her mother, and, and there's connection. It's okay. Someone's here for me. I'm not alone. That we are built for connection. We are built for relationship. It's why all of us, two of the most defining relationships you have in your life is your parents. Whether that's good, bad, whether you don't even know them. It is the two most defining relationships in your life. But while we are built for relationship and connection, parents, yes, friends, family, all of that, there's one person above all else we're built to connect with. As Jesus says in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my life. You exist, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, you're not a Christian today, you exist to abide with Jesus, to be with the Father. And so last week I said we're starting a new series, Easy Yoke, and the idea being we become students of Jesus. And, and a student of Jesus, a disciple or apprentice of Jesus, has three goals they define their life around. And so this morning we're starting with those three goals. And the first and most important goal of the Christian life is to abide with Jesus. I right, said so the, the three goals of the Christian life, it's to abide with Jesus, it's train with Jesus, so that we can live like Jesus. And I'll, I'll, we'll unpack the next two, the next couple of weeks. But for this morning, the central goal of your life if you're a Christian, and even if you're not, you should become one and make this the central goal of your life, is to abide with Jesus. And I want to start by saying, and this is the only point I'm going to make out of John 15, and we preached on it a few months ago, so if you want to go more on the text, you can go there. The only point I want to make out of John 15 is pretty simple, and it's this, is that Jesus wants to abide with you. Jesus wants to abide with you. Now, when I was uh, in high school, actually, when I was in eighth grade, um, I was invited to, to join the, the drum line as an eighth grader. Um, now, granted, we weren't technically the drum line. We were in uh, what was called the pit, which is where most high school students prefer to put junior high students or middle school students is in something called a pit. Um, but that's where I was. And it was, we didn't march. We played like the, the instruments out in front of the marching band. But I was like, I was technically a part of the drum line as an eighth grader, which felt so cool, because as we all know, theologically speaking, drummers are the coolest people on the planet. And so I'm, I'm in the drum line as an eighth grader, uh, one of the few uh, eighth graders chosen to do this. And so I'm, I, you know, I'm like, I'm ready to live it up as a cool drum liner. And the uh, high school uh, drum line students, uh, not surprisingly, wanted nothing to do with us. Did not act like we even existed. And to them, we didn't exist. And that's how it typically goes in, uh, in human relationships. If someone's important, if they're powerful, they might notice you exist, but probably not. Yet here we have Jesus outlining as the Son of God his relationship with the Father. 
And he, he invites you to abide with him. It's the only point in John 15 I want to make. Jesus says, come and abide with me. I'm, I'm like a vine, branches. You, you can draw your sustenance, your life from me. You'll produce incredible fruit. Come, remain in me, abide in me, stay with me, stick with me. I want to stick with you. And Jesus builds on this. So it's all of John uh, 15. It, it keeps going to John 17. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he, it's the last night of his life. He's praying. He's speaking to them, teaching them kind of all kinds of things. But it all culminates in John 17 where Jesus actually prays for you and I. So he prays for his disciples who are with him, and then Jesus starts to pray for the disciples that will come after these disciples, for you and me. John 17, verse 20, Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So if you're a Christian this morning, that's you. You have believed in Jesus because of these disciples' testimony and witness. So Jesus is praying for us. And what does he pray for us? That they may all be one. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now when Jesus prays that you and I are one, I always read that as, well, he wants us to be unified. He knew someday, beyond comprehension, we would end up with churches full of, of Cubs fans and Sox fans of Packers fans and Bears fans and Colts fans. Like people of very different backgrounds would, would come and be, be Christians and we would need to be unified around the gospel and not these secondary categories like sports teams, politics, or, or whatever. And so Jesus is praying for unity. And that, yes, that's true, but that's actually not primarily, that's not the focus of Jesus' prayer. He's not praying for oneness as unity. That's not what oneness means in this text. Here's what it means. He tells us, may they be one. Verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. The oneness Jesus is talking about is, is Jesus, as, as the Son of God, has a connection to the Father, a oneness. And so Jesus wants us to be connected with him so that we can experience the oneness that he experiences with the Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the, the, the way the world's going to believe the gospel is that you and I abide in Jesus and are connected to the Father by the power of the Spirit. And because we abide in, have a connection, a oneness with God, others will be drawn into that connection. Abide with me, Jesus says, and then keeps going and ends praying for you and I that we would abide in him, that we would be connected to the Father, that we would experience the presence of God. It's the whole reason why you and I exist. And so all I, all I, all I want to say out of, out of John 15 and 17 for now is God wants that with you. And, and what's hard is, in our culture, we just, we kind of take that for granted. Well, God's job is to love me and want to spend time with me. I mean, look at me. Right, like, that's, that's kind of the, right, why wouldn't he love me? That was not, that's sort of a, a, a zombified Christianity. But, like, originally, when Christianity broke into the world, the thoughts that, the, the thought that God's would want to spend time with you was ridiculous. 
Like the God, you went and made sacrifices to the gods so that they, they didn't get angry with you. you. You prayed long, repetitive prayers hoping you could talk the gods into doing something on your behalf. But the idea that the gods wanted to spend time with you was ridiculous. That was not true. And so Judaism, but to, to, more, to an even more extent, Christianity comes into the world with, with texts like this, the Father wants to abide with you. He gave the Son that you could be one with him. And that is a revolution. Like that, that is a revolution of how we view God, that he, he wants to abide with us. That's the whole point of this series. That's just why we started in Matthew 11. And we'll, we'll end uh, with a, kind of a second glance at Matthew 11 before we finish. Jesus, the Son of God, looks at this world that we're tired, we're worn out, we're anxious, we're burdened, we're afraid, and... and and what does the, gods, the, the, the Son of God say to us? Not what the gods said to the Romans, which is leave us alone and give us something to eat. It's come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Father, God, his son Jesus desires friendship with you. No exceptions. No matter where your life is today, how good, how bad you think you are, no exceptions. The Father invites you to abide with him through his son by the power of his spirit. So Jesus wants to abide with you. That's point one, but that raises a question. So why are there times when you and I don't experience the abiding presence of God? Why do we not hear from him sometimes? Why does he feel so distant sometimes? And listen, that, that, that is a question that needs to be answered in a lot of different ways. But I'm only going to name two this morning. Two that I think are, are going to be really important as we go through the rest of the series. But one reason why abiding with Jesus is difficult is because we do not intend to abide with him. That uh, Dallas Willard wrote a book called Hearing God. And in that book, he asked a question that has haunted me ever since I read it. I want to be clear, I got the wrong quote in the slide, so don't go to this quote. This is a new quote, and I'm sorry because you probably want to write this down, but you're not going to be able to. But I can get it to you later if you want. Um, Dallas Willard, he writes this in the book Hearing God, which I changed this morning to this quote. If you find a, yourself in a position where you can honestly say, God has never spoken to me, then you might ask yourself, why should God speak to me? What am I doing in life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for him to do? Are we in business, in life, together? Or am I in business just for myself, trying to use a little God to advance my projects? The question that haunted me is, what am I doing in life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for God to do? It's an uncomfortable question, so let me make us more uncomfortable. Uh, studies show that only about 9% of American evangelical Christians give 10% of their income away. About 9% of Christians in what I would describe as the most wealthiest culture in the history of the world, only 9% of Christians give what is the Old Testament bare minimum, a tithe. 
And there's lots of ways to think about that. One is obviously as a pastor, there are always mitigating circumstances. Someone who is uh, in material poverty, we might have a different conversation. The church should be generous towards that person and care for them. But often what I find is, is it's not materially poor people pushing back on the tithe. It's materially rich people. And the, one of the big pushbacks is, well, the commandment to tithe is not in the New Testament, which is true. It's a problem if that's our standard, though, because there are lots of commands that are not in the New Testament that we continue to think to be true because they were so rooted into the Old Testament scriptures. And the second reason why I struggle with that pushback from Christians that, well, the, the tithe isn't in the New Testament, it's, it's only in the Old Testament, is it, it's hard for me to imagine coming before the Father and saying, yes, you expected the first fruits of your people in the Old Testament, 10%, and then you gave us your son who died on the cross for our sins and was buried and humiliated and shamed and mocked and then raised to new life. And then you gave me the gift of your spirit. So therefore, I now believe I can give less of my income away than you expected to people who had none of those things. That argument does not follow for me. But only 9% of Christians give 10% of their income away in the most wealthy culture in history. And so uh, in my last church, we, we just wrestled with how do we help people? How do we pastor people through that? And there were a couple of, people, a couple of pieces of advice we would, we would give, but one I, I always struggled with. And, and we, would tell, we encourage people with two, two thoughts. One is, and this is from Andy Stanley, who would say, hey, just pick a percentage, give, and then try to increase up to 10% at some point. But I struggle with that because to me, that's, that's starting at disobedience. Whereas Dave Ramsey in Financial Peace says, give 10% no matter what. And trust the Father, trust God to, to provide. And that's my answer is, is, unless there are mitigating circumstances, that, and there are sometimes, I want to be clear, this is not a law. Um, and yet we should start with 10% because if the assumption is I should not listen to God when it comes to my money, what will I listen to him about? Will I forgive the people he asks me to forgive? Or will I say, well, I don't need to do this? Will I, I treat and, and see my sexuality in the way that he wants me to see it? Will I bless my enemy, those who curse me, following the teachings of Jesus? When I, when I start with disobedience to God, I'm actually not in business with him for my life. I'm running my own projects, hoping he'll come in to assist when I want him to, but ultimately I want to run my life as it is. So that's the intense example. Let me Let me hopefully make you laugh a little bit um, now, which is uh, my kids, I have four kids, and I, whenever there are kids in service, um, some, there are times when they'll make loud noises, and parents will come up to me after church, and they'll say, I'm so sorry my kids make that, made that loud noise, and, that, and, I was, and my typical response is, I don't know what you're talking about, I didn't hear it. And the reason I, d I didn't hear it is, as a parent of four kids, I have the capacity in my brain, when one of their, when one of their sounds comes towards me, I do not hear it. And I don't want to hear it. And so I just, it comes in, it, it doesn't get heard, and then it goes right back out. And so that's typically what happens if there's kids that make loud noises in this service. And I just want to be clear, like kids, you return the favor to us, right? We're mean, we're, we're not helpful to you in that way. And oftentimes we say things to you and it's like, I didn't hear that. It went in one ear right out um, the other. And what Willard is getting at is when our, when our posture towards, is the, fa towards the father is, I don't, I don't want to hear what you're saying to me, then why, he could speak, but it's in one ear, it's out the other. Or we just, we actually don't want him to speak. So there's, there's no point for him to speak because we're going to run our life on our own terms anyway. So why would he speak? 
And so that's, that's point one. We, we actually don't intend to abide with Jesus. And that's the question we all have to wrestle with. Is he invited to come and do with our lives what he would like to do? Because if the answer is no, then we don't intend to abide with him. But that raises attention. And so the second reason why abiding with Jesus is difficult, um, so a little hard stuff, now some, some, some encouraging stuff. Two, we, we don't believe that, that, that God wants to abide with us. We either don't intend to abide with him, like I'm going to run my life my way, thank you very much. Or two, it's there is no way God actually loves me and wants to pour his grace into my life. There's, that's not true. Uh, so again, Willard in, in uh, Dallas Willard in his writing says this about the first goal of you and I in our Christian lives. He says, the first objective is to bring an apprentice to the point where they dearly love and constantly delight in that heavenly father made real to earth in Jesus and are quite certain there's no catch, no limits to the goodness of his intentions or to his power to carry them out. I mean, how many of us live with a constant assumption to our daily lives? There is no catch to the Father's love for me, no limit to his goodness, and he has the power to carry it out in my life, whatever he wants to do. And we never question that. Or how many of us think he's going to get me at some point? I'm not good enough. I've made mistakes. At some point, it's going to happen. The the coin's going to switch. He's going to get me. And Willard's saying the first goal of the Christian life is to stop thinking that way and to start believing there's no catch, there's no limit to the goodness of God's intentions for your life. Do you believe that? There's no limits to the goodness of his intentions for your life. So back to tithing for a minute. Listen, I've not always tithed in my life. I've not always given 10% away of my income when I absolutely should have. But what has freed me into a different type of life is not, it's not law, it's not trying harder, but it's coming to believe I don't have to carve out a secondary backup life for myself of things that will make me happy because I have the Father. So I'm freed to live in such a different way. It frees me to look at my money differently, my enemies differently, the way people uh, interact with me. It frees me in a totally different life because now my life is lived with the governing assumption his goodness is unending, his power is limitless, and he's going to bring all of those things into my life. It doesn't mean everything goes great. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying his life is a, or God's God's posture towards me is, is limitless, goodness poured out into me and that frees me from all types of of sin let's just let's just sit in that for a minute before we move into to closing this thing thing out how many of us could could just sit with i have the father that's all i need in 1521 uh, an 18-year-old soldier who was well respected in, in rising through the the ranks of the spanish military was gravely injured in the Battle of Pamplona. His life was in danger, so he was taken back to his home where he underwent uh, incredibly brutal surgeries. They did not have epidurals back in that day. And the operations on his right leg were so intense, they, have to, they actually left his right leg sh- uh, slightly shorter than his left leg, which meant he walked with a significant limp the rest of his life. His military career over, his identity shattered, his physical body broken. 
And as he recovered from his, his surgeries, he, he began to draw near to God. He felt the, the presence of the Father in new, new and unique ways. And as he, he, he was suffering from his injuries, about a year after all of this happened, he wrote what has become one of the most influential writings in all of Christian history, The Spiritual Exercises. His name was Ignatius of Loyola. And at the beginning of the book, as disciples of Jesus were entering into what he had for them, at the beginning of the book, he wrote this. We should not fix our desires on health or sickness, wealth or poverty, success or failure, a long life or a short one. For everything has the potential of calling forth in us a more loving response to our life forever with God. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. This is the goal of our life should not be about our health or our sickness, being rich, being poor, a long life, a short, whatever we, we, we want out of this world, that should not be our attention. Rather, we should want and choose whatever leads to God's deepening life in us. Ignatius of Loyola writes this, his body shattered, his dream identity crushed, and he says, the only thing I want in life is what brings me near to the Father. How many of us can pray that? How many of us actually, we ask actually what we want. We would say to God, you take whatever you gotta take. I only need you. So if I have you, I can be, I can be sick. If I have you, I can be poor. I just want the Father. That's why abiding with him is, is difficult, right? It's, this is not easy, and yet he wants to abide with us. So where I want to end us is, uh, is one practice for a life of abiding with Jesus. Okay, what, what does this look like on the ground in your, your life? And this is going to sound like I'm giving you two practices, but it's, it's really just one. And the practice is this. It's, it's reading your Bible and praying. This is the thing a pastor would always say. But I'm going to hopefully frame it in a way that's, that's helpful. And, and, and there's a reason why I'm saying it's, that's just one practice. Reading the Bible and prayer is one practice. Because why do we read the Bible? Not for information. I mean, I hope you can do well on Bible quizzes. That's not going to do anything for you in the grand scheme of things. Why do we read the Bible? It's not for the right theology, although I hope you have the right theology. But the demons have the right theology, and it only leads them to, uh, to war against the ways of Jesus and his Father. But they could tell you all about uh, Jesus' in, uh, incarnation. They could tell you about the Trinity. They know the right answers to, the, to all the questions. It does not matter. Why do we read the Bible? It's to know the Father. It's to listen to his voice. It's to draw near to him. Now, I'll summarize it this, because this the disciples could do this in ways you and I couldn't, but they still did it, and it's a great model for us. This is what, what your, 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 your time in the morning, evening, whenever it is, when you, you open your Bible, you read it, and you pray. It should look like this, and it's a moment in Jesus' life, and it's one of my favorite moments in Jesus' life, when uh, he's, he's napping in the bottom of a boat. Napping is biblical, and next week we'll talk about <laughs> next week we'll talk about the, the practices of Jesus, what he spent his time doing. One thing he spent his time doing was napping, and so uh, we, may we tra train with Jesus in that way. But he's asleep in the bottom of the boat, and there's a, there's a, a crazy storm that comes uh, up around uh, them, and, and the disciples themselves, were, who were they were seasoned fishermen, so these are guys who would not easily be afraid of 
storms at sea. They had seen some storms at sea, yet they're terrified that they're going to die. And so they go down to Jesus and they wake him up. Like, Jesus, we're going to die here. And Jesus, basically, he asked them two questions in response. Why are you so afraid? And have you still no faith? What does he mean by those two questions? What he does not mean is, guys, the storm is not that bad. Calm down. It'll be okay. Get yourselves together. Which, if I'm honest, is, is a lot of times what, what pastoral care or Christian witness is. Things aren't that bad. Lighten up. It'll all work out for good in the end. It's not what Jesus is saying. And these are fishermen. They know what bad storms are. Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He makes that storm about himself. As if to say, you've seen, like you've seen me at work. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me preach the gospel. You have a sense you know who I am. And, and who I am, I'm not going to live a life where I die in a random storm at sea. It's not how the story ends, guys. And you know that. You should know that. So why are you afraid? Remember who I am. The irony, of course, is Jesus died in a much more brutal way than, than that, in a much more surprising way than a, a storm at sea. He died on a cross, right? Giving his own life up for you and I for our sins so that if you have any doubt this morning that God wants to be your friend or he wants to abide with you. That should all be wiped away by the work of Jesus on the cross to say, I know what's broken in you. I know what's wrong. I know what you think makes me not want to abide with you. Just know it's covered on the cross. But I got to go back to the ship. Jesus says, why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Do you not know who I am? And that's ultimately what any good Bible reading and prayer is. And maybe there are times in your life when everything's working to good. Like, I think there were like two days when I was 28 when it was all perfect. <laughs> and then there's like, there's always something like, what's going to happen with that? That relationship, that, that sickness, that person, what's going on? And we go to the Father and we say, God, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know where this goes. I don't know where this leads. And we feel the, the weight of the storms of life shake us to our core. And so we open up our Bibles. We say, okay, God, wake up. I'm going to die. And hopefully when you read, you, you sense him arouse. He was awake, but he arouses. And you meet the presence of the Father, the presence of Jesus in those pages. And you hear him speak. Why are you afraid? I'm right here. And the words he spoke to the disciples become fresh words for us every day. We, we sense the storms of life. We live our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our burdens, the things that wear us down, the things that prevent us from having rest for our souls. So every day we wake up our, we open our Bibles to wake up our gods, to remind, to wake up our gods, to remind him we are going to die. <laughs> and then we wait. Wait for him to ask those questions. Why are you afraid? Have you faith in me? I'm right here. Let us pray. Father, I give you thanks for the truth that for every one of us in this room, we were born into this world with, with you looking for us. The Father sending the Son 
who's now sent the Spirit out loose into this world to bring us home. So we all come in. We're at different places this morning. So, Father, whether there are people here who are not yet Christians, may, may they just sense you seeking them. For those of us who are Christians, Father, may we hear the words of Jesus. I'm right here. There's no limit to my good intentions for you. I have the power to carry them out into your life. I'm present to you. I'm real. May we hear those things, Father, and, and, and live a life of faith. I pray all this in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.